1: You know what? After all these years, I'm starting to rethink my thoughts on punctuality. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Spithick, me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. It's not what I do. It's not what I'm about. I tell you the unvarnished truth. You tell me that you hate it. But that's how this works, and so I'm going to be honest. I have never been super punctual. But in light of a television show that I am watching I am starting to rethink whether I need to work on that particular skill set. Obviously, I'm talking about All or Nothing. Uh, I want to let you know there will be some thematic discussion of All or Nothing today. What I mean by thematic is like some things that have raised thoughts about the club, about the manager, about the players, but without ideally going into um, specific moments in the show that might ruin it for you if you haven't watched yet. So in other words... Um, if you find themes to be spoilery, there may be some of that, but we will not We will try not to spoil like, oh, remember when this guy did this specifically. So a uh, tightrope walk that we will do, and I'm sure we will at no point uh, violate the uh, rules that I've just outlined. Now, Clive is unavailable today, unfortunately, and Tim is unavailable today, and uh, Scott is unavailable at this time of day, and Paul uh computer is broken. So it's just me for that. No, I'm kidding. We do have a guest. His name is Andrew. You can find him on the Cast and on the All or Nothing show quite a bit. Hello, Andrew.
2: Hello, Elliot. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. Um, it, it's uh, first of all, thanks for like helping out in my time of need here.
2: Saving your ass. Is that how you Yes, yeah,
1: sa- saving my ass. So, well, I've got normally three different people who do that. So it's just you today. And and just to get a little bit inside, uh, inside podcasting, so there's a recording environment that I normally use. And uh, for whatever reason, my login to that recording environment wasn't working. And so we're using your login to that recording environment. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm playing away. Right. Like I feel like I'm, you know, I'm on, I'm on the away pitch and I'm getting used to the way they've cut the grass. It's really, really a bizarre feeling for me. right now. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a bit like when
2: you're playing game of football and you when the other team doesn't have enough players and you have to go and play with the opposition or you yep. send them to play with the opposition. It's a bit like that, but uh, no slide tackles,
1: I promise. I, I appreciate. Well, we'll see. Um, I I will say also that uh, congratulations on your regular appearance without being too spoilery uh, in the documentary. I had my tap in in the last five seconds of the last episode they put out in the scenes for the next episode, so mm. I can at least say tick. But are you uh you enjoying hearing yourself show up in the all or nothing doc? It
2: is a bit weird, and I'm I'm sort of listening to all the other voices going, "Who's that? What podcast did they get that from?" Et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, look, I mean, people have asked, and um. You know, the production crew, many of whom are Arsenal fans, it has to be said. Um, This wasn't sort of uh, written and directed by Jeff Bezos, um mm-hmm. you know, from his millionaire or billionaire's lair, wherever that is. But, you know, they're Arsenal fans, so they came and looked for permission to use certain clips and certain uh, snippets from the podcast, which, you know, I'm happy enough to do. And, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to hear yourself as part of something that is... Um, you know, obviously being watched by a lot of people
1: and enjoyed by a lot of people as well, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, your show is, uh, listened to and enjoyed by a lot of people regularly. So that's not totally unknown to you, but I will tell you that it was a little different for me because they said, we want to use this clip of audio for you, but we want to let you know that under, when your audio is playing, there'll be a caption on the screen that says you need to stick to baseball. Um, so, (laughs) you know, I I wasn't sure, but I just said yes to it anyway. Um, You know, it's funny. I really liked episodes one through three and Mm -hmm. I thought there were some insights in it, but like for me, it felt more like recap of football season while getting to know the players a bit, which was kind of fun. These episodes though, I think it took the show and the insights and the understanding up a level. I'm curious if first of all, you're enjoying them and you agree that this, this latest drop as the kids say had a Mm. lot more meat on the bone.
2: Yeah, I think they did. Um, Obviously, without going into any specifics um, or too many specifics, there's a lot of obamian in, mm-hmm. in episodes four and five. And that, of course, was a a major thing last season. Uh, I don't know how many podcast hours we must have spent between us um, discussing that situation, what would happen, what could happen, what's the best thing to happen. And behind the scenes, you get some, um, some insight into – <sighs> sort of how it went down and how it was reacted to inside. And I think there's some something very interesting about how it all played out in the end. When you do watch these episodes, there's a particular point of view within the club. And then there is Mikel Arteta's point of view. That was so interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. what do you think of that? I thought that was fascinating because clearly they have backed him. To make the right decision that he feels was the right decision, um, even if they might have had some concerns over that. I think it's perfectly normal. I mean, if everybody else was saying, well, this is our captain, our highest paid player, it leaves us short up front. If we all had those concerns, we're not alone. Th- they had those concerns as well. So uh, it was quite interesting to see to see that sort of play out. But in the end, we all know what happened and uh, how it all went down. Uh, and the manager's mind was not for changing.
1: Yeah, it, it sort of confirms where the locus of power is related to player movement and, and player decisions. Mm. And it rests with the manager. And I think that's good. I think it should. I, I do think it's interesting as I watched it. Because the funny thing is, I've spoken a lot about this last season. And there were times when I felt... One of your jobs as a manager is to find a way to make these tricky situations work. Clearly, Mm. the leadership at the club felt similarly. But as I watched it, and maybe this is as Amazon intended, but as I watched it, I found myself thinking, I don't see how there's a way back. It would have felt very strange. you know. If you think about this as a TV show, Mm. it would have felt weird reintroducing that character at that point in the TV show. If you yeah, know it what was I mean, like Pam Ewing or Bobby Ewing, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pam <laughs> Ewing
2: um, in the shower.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, thats a show that came out like a couple of seasons, a couple of years ago. By the way, not an old. Yeah, old yeah, show. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, have any clue what I'm talking no about. Clue, no clue, no um, clue. But I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, so there's that. The, let me ask you this too. The one thing that I'm some, somewhat cognizant of is, as I found myself sort of feeling like it would have been difficult for the player to come back into the fold and feeling um, that maybe the right decision had been taken with respect to what's happening in the dressing room, it struck me also that we're not getting cutaways and one-on-ones with Yang himself, right? We're getting a lot of of the manager's perspective, the club's perspective, seeing how the the team reacts. But do you feel that because we don't really get the player's view on it at all that it, it is going to give you a very specific perspective in the way you view it? Yeah, I would
2: have liked a bit more Aubameyang, but I guess my
1: my guess is anyway
2: that there is probably some kind of NDA involved in his contract termination and his departure, mm. and maybe going into detail could have been in breach of that. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. That's what um, mean. I mean, I, what what did strike me is, you know, people will have seen the news story, so this is not a spoiler. Uh, there were stories doing the rounds uh, during the week about how Mikel Arteta kept a dossier on on Aubameyang and his various misdemeanors, transgressions, and, and, and- <laughs> everything else. The, the transgressions, and that you know what you're what you're led to believe. I, and I think the story that we've been uh, presented in uh, many ways by the club over the last number of months, and certainly when all this was happening, was that this was a cumulative issue where just so many things happened. It was lying in the sand time. I still think that there might be something about this situation that we are not privy to that isn't in the TV show. Um, I, I don't necessarily think there is a smoking gun, if you like, but I just have a suspicion that something happened between the two of them or words were said, which made the position um. How do I say it that 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 there was no coming back from whatever was Point said. Of no return. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I mean I do feel like that because at the same time, you know, you do have to have discipline and non-negotiables and all of those kinds of things. But I just think that there is a layer to this story that we're probably never going to be able to to get. Um, like he at the time and in this feels completely justified about the decision that he made. And I don't think you're you, I don't think you make a decision like that without doubt, some kind of doubt, unless there's been something significant occurring. And I don't mean to say they came to blows or I just, I just feel like there's another bit of this, but, um, it I might explain why we don't see
1: too much of the Yang side uh, of the story. Yeah, I mean the the other thing I will say is one of the things I I look for in in people and in these kind of situations is do they have self awareness? Do they have the ability to see themselves? You know, and the, and their issues and their transgressions. And one of the things, and this this isn't a spoiler. This is just a little moment because I can't really touch on this issue otherwise. Mikkel is asked a question by a reporter by a journalist. You know, is it sort of possible that this is this makes you look like a dictator, right? Like you're just trying to show it's your authority and that that you you know you have the authority in the situation, impose your authority on it. And he he sort of brushes off the question in the press conference, but in walking away, I believe he might have been with Marcinella, but he's he's walking away, and um he references the reporter's question. He's like, I see what he's getting at there. You know, he's got a point, Mm. but you know, I, it's really not about me. The thing I liked about it is it reflects a self-awareness that like, I understand the point that people Mm. will have that I'm just trying to be a dictator, but no, here's why I'm doing it. And I really need to, to make sure that I'm careful with this because the sense that I really got that I have to admit, I maybe wasn't as, forgiving of or understanding of in the season, in the moment, and I'm, I'm still not you know sure how I feel, it's evolving. These things are always evolving. Is that he's very cognizant of setting standards for the other players and the concern that you have this captain, this leader, this flashy guy who's a big personality in the dressing room and that the players will emulate his behavior. There is a concern about that. And later on in that very episode, there's talking about like some of you are training well and some of you are training like crap. And if I'd been at, you know, it's during his COVID absence, he would have kicked some out. I think you can see that there may have been more to this, that there might've been a fear that there was going to be contamination that occurred mm-hmm. if this behavior and this influence was left in the dressing room. And I'm wondering if you think, especially given how young the side is, that that was in his mind and in his thoughts in terms of how he had to deal with this.
2: Yeah, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense actually. Uh, when you say that, um, you know, he is a very larger than life guy, Obama Yang, in terms mm-hmm. of his personality, and and when you're building a young squad, I guess you do want them to. Um, yeah, I mean, you could look at Obama Yang, a guy who's in the final years of his career. Um, I think he's always been a fairly trendy guy, flashy guy, the cars and all that kind of stuff. It's always just been part of of who he is. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think that is part of who he is. But you you do get the sense that there is a level of seriousness required from uh Arsenal players under Mikel Arteta that that mm-hmm. this is something he demands on the training ground, in games, um even to the extent of, of the way he wants them to live their lives. You look at Smith Rowe and when he talked about the way he ate and the food that he ate mm-hmm. and um, how changing his diet really helped him. You know, these are these are young guys who are brought through at academy level who are told, like – the chances of you making it at, well, maybe they're not told explicitly, but they, they understand that the chances of making it at a club like Arsenal are, are pretty slim, right? So every single thing you can do to give yourself a competitive uh, competitive advantage, you should be doing, right? Yeah. At the same time, though, they're young guys, and they like Nando's, and they like McDonald's <laughs> no. and you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. and. It, it it demanded, let's say, a bit of a rethink from Emile Smith-Rowe, even after he'd broken through into the team. And I, I suspect that is part and parcel of the day-to-day culture at Arsenal is, this is work. You're at a big club. Um, there, there's a bit in maybe the sixth episode, and again, this is not going into real specifics, But but Ben White talks about, a number of times, the standards that are required at a club like this. And I guess if your captain isn't living up to those standards, like it, people will say, well, you got rid of him for just being late. But if you're never on time, if you're always late, it's disrespectful to your colleagues, to the manager. If everyone else has to be there and you just can't be arsed doing it, that causes problems in any walk of life, not just football. You know, if work starts at nine o'clock every morning and – you know, you, you come in at half nine and, uh, you know, your colleagues are going, well, he's coming in at half nine. He's leaving at five. We're coming in at nine, leaving at five. Why are we doing, you know, management has to take some kind of action on something like that. And I know it's an, uh, not a great
1: example, but to, to be fair, I only did it a few times and I was only a little drunk from the night before. So I just want to clarify that
2: <laughs> probably with you one of those nights. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that might be. I think that might be part of it. Yeah, I think it might be part of it.
1: I I have to admit, right? Like, you can't watch this show without getting more connected emotionally to some of the players and the manager. It gets me super fired up. To, to I mean, I, I was going to say to like root for them this season, but if, I was going to root for them this season anyway. So it sounds okay. silly, but if you get what I mean, I know, it, I it just in, increases the intensity of that excitement and that passion for them. It got me thinking though. So I'm watching this series with my wife who doesn't really follow the football because mm-hmm. there's just too much of it around her at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's loved Arteta through this. And at one point as we're watching the second tranche of shows, she turns to me and she's like it's getting a bit intense, isn't it? And, and I noticed it too, actually it's, it struck me when she said it that like you need the, I wanted the pressure valve to release. Now, the show is doing that to you, right? The show is ratcheting up the pressure and the intensity. Mm. But it made me wonder, do you do you get the sense that he could add another club to his bag, so to speak? That a joke and a laugh wouldn't hurt him, you know, a, a bit in terms... And he may have it. And the show is just choosing to play this angle. But there's so much passion, intensity, expectation. There's vulnerability too, which is good. I think that's another level. But mm. I found myself feeling... Almost anxious at times in the show because his intensity is so infectious, even through the screen. That I wonder, like, you know, I look at someone like Klopp, and this is all from you know such a, a distance, so we don't know, and and the show is giving you just a window. Of, but like, Klopp in his own way can just be really goofy, and uh, mm. I'm, I'm wondering if you think that as Arteta matures into the job, or if you even think he needs it, there's a, a layer of sort of uh, lightness that can be added to the. The the tools he's using with his players to to relieve some of that pressure, especially when you get into situations like the NLD or, or the Newcastle game late in the season, because that intensity starts to feel a little suffocating when you're watching.
2: Yeah, I mean there is a bit of that in the sixth episode. I think there's a bit more of uh, Arteta, the the person, the human. Like, yeah. look, yeah, let's yeah. face it, Mikel Arteta is never going to be, uh, never going to have his own Netflix stand up <laughs> special. Is he? he's not that kind of guy. <laughs> I'm not saying he can't have fun, but I think he's a guy who's pretty intense. He's not going to be Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal no. with these footballers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he... he. I think that's just the way he operates. I think it's just who he is. I think to to... When you think about, like, everybody in the world who plays football, mm-hmm. every single person who plays the game and loves the game... You know, to go from San Sebastian, to go to the Barcelona Academy, to go to Paris Saint-Germain, to go to Rangers, to go to Everton, to come to Arsenal, like, that guy has worked so hard to do that because he was a good footballer. I really liked Mikel Arteta as a, a footballer, and I, I I wished, actually, we had signed him from Everton a good few years before we did, but... um I think it's just who he is and and that's the way he wants his players to behave. Again, I think part of it is narrative. Part of it is the way the show is being scripted and sculpted and presented to us. Like I'm sure there's loads of stuff um, you know, fun stuff that happens on the training ground, but you can't you can't do a show where like Arsenal haven't scored in four thousand hours of football, and then he's and, juggling. I don't know that that's going to really fit into the, to the show. It but failed. as I said, there is there is a bit a, there is a bit more of Mikel Arteta the person in 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 episode six, and and actually, you know, you're talking about getting to see more of the players and rooting for them a bit more. Like, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please how have you viewed Granite Jacker through this
1: uh, series? It's funny you ask that because I have a little notepad. I This is going to sound uh, super normal, like a thing that normal people do, but I've been taking notes as I watch because I do get caught up in things as I watch them. This happens to me with the games. And then it ends mm. and I go, I don't remember anything that happened yeah. because I was just so caught in the moment. And like uh, in bold underlined, I'm, I'm, I'm loving Granite Shacker, right? Like I, and this is the thing. And it's a beautiful thing about the show. And it's a reason why I'm glad we have it because you can look, you, you have to be able to recognize that the first goal of these players is to step on the pitch and, and play the football well right um I, I think it's pretty funny when lock is asked which do you prefer the journey or the destination he's like the destination and he's like wrong it's the journey <laughs> you, you had to, you had a 50 50 chance and you blew it but like um it, but that's kind of how footballers need to think right like if i step on the pitch and i score three goals and we win the game and we raise the trophy i did my job right now mm-hmm. i get that it's not that black and white but so I don't want to pretend that the things that have frustrated me about Granite Shaka were always wrong. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I mean, maybe. Fair enough. But but yes, yes, you see, and, and it should be obvious. There's a reason every manager has picked him, the reason he was a captain, the reason he's so loved in the dressing room, the reason he's able to come back from what happened out on that pitch on the day that we don't need to you know, mm. um, revisit Because it's hard not to like this guy when you get close to his attitude, his professionalism, how much he cares. The moment after the Man City game, I I wanted to reach through the screen and give this guy a hug, right? And of course, I can tell you on a podcast that day, I wasn't saying that. No, that's for sure. And and to be fair, both sides of that coin are – are real parts of the game. It's okay after that Man City game as a fan and an analyst of the game to be frustrated with what happened with that guy on the pitch mm. to the extent that you think he even did anything wrong. Let's be fair. I, I think I probably came down on the side of it's a harsh penalty just, just to be clear, just in case anyone wants to go back and listen to oh, that
2: episode. But Oh, you you mean the second? Oh, the second Man City game. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah, the, the, the one we played great and lost. <clears> um, yeah, I mean, he had incidents in both to be fair, but... Um, but setting that aside, yeah, like I like getting to see the things that make me love the players that pull on the shirt, because ultimately, while your analysis should be clear eyed like i don't I don't think you should just develop a favorite fall in love with the player and then not be able to say that they were good or bad or whatever you know what i mean like i i i I like liking the players, and this makes me like them, and this brought me closer to a player that I have had a fractious relationship with as, as someone who talks about Arsenal. So yes, I liked it. I warmed him. That's a very, very long and complex answer leading nowhere. So why don't you now, uh, for, for the sake of clarity, tell me how you felt about Grand The Shack watching series. I've, I've really warmed to him and, um, I've warmed
2: to him a lot in the last year, maybe. Um, and I think he, he comes across as a great guy in this, like a good guy Mm -hmm. in the, in the dressing room. He's quite funny. um, there's a bit where he's talking to Saka, which is really, really funny, um, which I, I won't spoil for people, but it, it's it's very, very good. Um, and like you, you know, he's frustrated me down the years. He really has frustrated me at times, but I don't doubt his desire to do well for the club. And I think that's part and parcel of why he gets picked a lot you know that attitude is very much in line with what the manager wants he wants players who are um driven and ambitious and determined and who care and i think he really does care um people will say well fuck him you know he has had loads of chances he's made loads of mistakes i can't can't bear him, which is fair enough. Um, I'm not here to change anybody's mind or anything like that. People um, are perfectly entitled to their opinions about players and everything else. But I I, I warned him, and I think he comes across very well in this series.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a more succinct way of saying exactly what I was trying to get at. And I think that one of the challenges I might have this season, that we all might have, there, there is going to be spillover from watching this series in the way we think about the manager, the assistants, the, the players, mm-hmm. because we feel we've gotten an insight. And then they're going to go do things on the pitch. And we're going to have to try to synthesize how we feel based on those two inputs. But it's the things on the pitch that ultimately are going to still matter the most. And one thing that there is, there's so much noise around football, and you can find yourself caught up in the narrative, like an interesting thing to do. If you're on Twitter, for example, you know, a lot of us will have Twitter open while we watch the game. And so you see how people are reacting to an individual player, to how the game's going, and it, mm. it infects your view of the game. Watch a game with no internet and just watch the game. Then log on to something like Twitter and see how much you align with or don't yeah, align yeah. with. Yeah, with, with what the, the narrative is. And it is hard when there's hundreds of messages scrolling past you at light speed about, oh, this guy stinks. And you're like, well, I don't see it that way, but five by five minutes later of reading those messages, you may start to come around to the idea that yeah, maybe he's not having yeah. a good. So this so show,
2: we're saying this, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 so th- I think this show can have a similar impact too, in that it it's going to lead us naturally to feel a certain way about some of these guys, mm. and then that feeling is going to to have an impact on how we look at the season. I I have to admit, like I'm liking them all more though. There isn't a player really I'm coming away and being like. Uh you know what on second thought I don't like it's like is there anyone that's come off not so good to you or or where you they're leaving you cold? Um no I don't think so.
2: I don't think so. I I think you know obviously part of this is um stage managed is the wrong word yes. but I think you know there's probably uh they're not going to do anything that's going to make anybody come across um really poorly even obama yang Despite whatever happened and uh, everything else, you know, they show him co- um, return from the AFCON, doing his training, et cetera, et cetera. And that must be difficult, you know, training away from the group. When you're a senior player, these are your mates as well, these are your friends. Um, and all of a sudden, you're just training. Um, you know, with a fitness coach or whatever it is, but I don't think there's anybody who's come across as as uh, any worse. And you know, it does tie into what we were all thinking and talking about last season as this team began to develop. And you think, um, you think about the Leicester game. You know, I know we'd won the North London Derby, but but that Leicester game was when I first started to really think there was something going on with this team. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I liked the reaction afterwards. I liked Arteta's reaction afterwards where he said, we haven't done anything yet. We've got to stay humble, blah, blah, blah. You know, keep your feet in the ground. That message was pretty consistent. But I think around that game, we started, you know, as a a fan base, um, I'm not speaking for the entire fan base, but just, you know, you started to get the sense that this was a good bunch of lads, you know, they had their flaws. Maybe some of them are still a bit young, a bit raw, developing, et cetera, et cetera. But they seemed like a likable bunch, you know, who were new and fresh and different and weren't old and from Chelsea or look <laughs> <not> like Hank <laughs> Scorpio or, you know what I mean? <laughs> the guys that, you know, we'd endured. The guys that we'd endured. Because when they, when they give you guys like that, when they give you the old guy from Chelsea – They're supposed to make a difference now. Yeah, it's true. That's why they're signed. We could see that these are guys who, you know, we want them to make a difference now, but we understand that it might take a little bit of time. And I think that understanding coupled with, you know, someone like Ramsdale, just think about what the the Twitter storm and all that kind of stuff was around Ramsdale before he signed. Yeah. And how long was it before people were going, hey, you know what? This is a good goalkeeper, and a really good guy. What a big personality he is! What a fit he is for this team. So I think all this th- the things that we're seeing within this um, show are sort of backing up things that we we came to learn last season as well. Um, and there's probably going to be some disappointing aspects to that over the next uh, few episodes as well, because you know, there's part of me that goes, "This is interesting," but I don't know if I necessarily
1: want to relive. I had the same thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't – because also now you've gotten so close to these players over the course of the season, I right? In in the mm-hmm. moment when it was happening, I didn't want us, the fans, to be disappointed by the end of the season. I lived through that. Yeah. I don't want to watch them, the players, get their hearts broken. You know what I mean now? Because like, much like characters in a show, you, you're caring about them in a different way, and I yeah. don't want to have to watch them go through Oh, the crushing that's a, disappointment. That's another um, I mean I'm, cu-
2: I'm curious as to their reaction. I'm curious as to the reactions. Those are some of the things that I like the best. Are the 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 unfiltered reactions or little bits where they kind of forget the cameras are there, which doesn't happen that often, I don't think. When cameras are there all the time, um, you know, you you there must have been a guy before every away game whose job it was to go into the dressing room and put up cameras. Yeah. Um, right. you know. So when the sort of curtain falls a little bit and you get that unfiltered access to their thoughts or their reactions, those are very interesting. And I'm sort of, without wanting to relive the Derby and certainly that Newcastle game again, I am curious to see what the reaction was like in the dressing room. Because some of the reactions when things haven't gone well have been really, really interesting, you know, Um, even Mm -hmm. sort of the the first three episodes. So I, I presume everybody's pretty much seen those at this point but Ramsdale's reaction to not getting his clean sheet, you know, Mm -hmm. I like that sort of stuff. So I'm curious to see what the dressing room was like. I I presume quiet and disconsolate, but there might be just some people who pipe up and have something to say that, that makes you think about, you know, what we might do or, or might inform what we think we're capable of doing this, this season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. And like the one thing that, you do get also, I see the one thing. We've gotten like seven things already. This isn't the one thing. This is one of, one of the things. Um, I, there is sometimes this worry that I think fans have. that oh, it doesn't matter to them. It's just a paycheck. They collect their huge check. They go, you know, it matters to us. It doesn't matter to them. And what you realize from watching a series like this, right, is this is their life. They do almost nothing else. When they get two days off, it's a special treat. But the rest of the time, this is their life. And yes, it's a big paycheck. And I'm not saying they'd bleed for the badge, but I am saying that when you are this wrapped up in something that is this intense with the same group of guys in this kind of combative kind of environment, right? Where it's us against them every week, Mm. you're gonna care. It would be very, very hard. You'd almost have to be a sociopath not to care. And you do see that they care and it affects them. Um, and, And then you layer onto that, your point about young men, you know, young people, I think have the capacity to ride the highs more and ride the lows more, right? As you get older, you start to even out a little bit and realize that it's, it ebbs and flows. So I think you really see that they care. I'll, I want to move the conversation on to, to actual arsenal, like current arsenal stuff. But one last thought, do you have do you have any thoughts on Adu? He gets a little bit more time in some of these episodes, and he's someone that I think we're all kind of curious about a little bit. There are some funny little moments in there where like it almost seems like he he doesn't love the pressure of having to, to perform under the scrutiny, right? When the January window opens, like he's got some trepidation about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm curious. I mean, he comes across very likable, but I'm curious if if you know what you thought of his sort of credibility and 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 who he is and just any any takeaways that you had from from him in the show.
2: Yeah, look, I I've I've sort of wondered about Edu um privately and on the podcast a few times. Um, you know, the the closeness to um Raoul and some of the other agents, you know, it didn't always sit very well with me. Um but I think he comes across in this as extremely likable. I think he is um He's certainly, when it comes to incoming transfers, doing good work for the club. Um, the outgoing thing is a discussion for maybe another day, um, maybe a discussion for another year. Um, you know, if you think that when we start to sell players next summer or, or the summer after, there might be players that we don't necessarily want to sell. Or, you know, as fans, we would prefer to keep them around, but because they're, they're valuable assets – um we we might have a better time selling them um but no i think he comes across very hard working good seems to have a good connection with arteta and i think that's important the relationship between the technical director and the manager if that's not working then i think you're going to really struggle as a football club to to build anything to do what you what you want to do because if the technical director wants one thing and the manager wants something else well, you've got a big problem. If they are more closely aligned, it doesn't mean they have to agree on everything, but in principle, if they're more closely aligned, then it should make the job of building a squad much easier. And I think we've seen that with the recruitment in the last 12 months, You know what happened last summer, what we've added this summer already, hopefully a bit more to come before the end of the window. But it seems to be strategic. It seems to be something they agree on. Um He did say in one of them, didn't he, one of the early ones, like, you know, you can never just give a manager a player. If the manager doesn't want him, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I think. So, yeah, he comes across well, quite funny in his way, Um, seems to have more than the one blue shirt as well, which is great.
1: Um, his wardrobe
2: <laughs> uh, his wardrobe was worrying me a little bit, but, yeah. uh, no, well, he's that's a good his guy. signing
1: he, uh, shirt. He can only use that on uh, signing days. I tell you
2: who I do like as well. I like, um, Carlos Cuesta, who mm. is the individual development coach. He just seems like a really positive guy to have around still really young. He's only 27, 28. So I think that's quite an interesting aspect to this is that he's sort of, you
1: know, he's the bridge, isn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's looking. I mean, Arteta's really young, and Edu's really young, you know, in football terms. In in uh, in uh, when it comes to the jobs that they have, but this guy, you know, he's of an age where he could be a footballer. Um, but I, I like him in this as well. I think he's one that people will enjoy. Uh, yeah,
1: um, and and it's interesting, right? Because one of the players in one of the first three episodes, and I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. Basically, said they they like Carlos because he's young, like them. He can sort of understand what they're going through. I think it was um, Nuno. Was it was a new, a new yeah, that's product. right, who also comes across great. So, all right, let's, let's shift the conversation. Okay. But first, clearly the podcast not struggling with any talent today, although maybe struggling to make up the numbers. And as you know, if you need to make up the numbers and do it with the best talent, the best place to do that is with Indeed. <clears throat> that's right. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job post according to Indeed data. I've talked to you about Instant Match. I've talked to you about the virtual interviews. Today, we're talking about assessments. And one of the things that's really frustrating about online hiring, whether you are the hirer or the hiree, is standing out. And if you're trying to find just the right talent, a resume may not be sufficient information, right? And you may feel if you're trying to find a job that a resume is not sufficient information. Well, if you are hiring and you want to make sure that you're being efficient, you're using the candidate's time well, using your time well, assessments helps you do that because it lets star applicants shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. All right. So it takes the stress out of the interview process. Your candidates get to prove themselves before the interview so that uh, you and the candidate can dive deeper into talking about what's important to both of you. What is important in the job with indeed assessments, you can select for skills that matter most, add from a selection of over a hundred hard and soft skills to test your job post and home in on the candidates with the right skill factors. Okay. It gives you a window also into how the candidate's going to be on the job, which is what the hiring process is meant to do. So Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 uh, credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. you need to hire. You need Indeed. And a brand new name to us here. And one that I think is pretty cool. The Premier League is back, and our friends at Bookmakers are here to hook you up with some cool memorabilia. Bookmakers.com uh, is a, a site that's pretty cool. i going to tell you about it. There's no gambling, okay? So it's not a gambling site. But if you want to search for odds, right? If you want to search hundreds of online uh, sports books to see what the odds are for something, they're the best place to go. And not just that, they have really good analysis. And what I've been using the site for is I'll go there and I'll click on our opponent to get really quick aggregated basic stats on who starts for them, how many starts they've made, cards, goals, goals allowed, things like that. So it's got a great aggregation of analysis on all the Premier League teams. Great odds, so you can just say, um, hmm, who has us favored this week uh, against Leicester? Who has us favored to finish top four? And so all the odds are there, and then you can you know find them individual to see how they spread out. And in fact, I know Scott, for example, uses betting markets as a key input for his model. So if you are into data, uh, if you are into odds, if you are into the analysis, bookmakers.com is the destination for that. But it's not just that. You're gonna be able to check the podcast Twitter later for a chance to win a free Arsenal shirt signed by Charlie George, Tony Adams, and Liam Brady. Okay, so when they said, hey, you know, we, we, we're we gonna promote this great new website on on the podcast and I said, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And they said, oh, but we're also going to give away something. And I thought, oh, you know, what what are they going to give away? Well, they're giving away Arsenal memorabilia, good Arsenal memorabilia, a shirt signed by Charlie George, Tony Adams, and Liam Brady. So go to bookmakers.com when you need to see what the latest odds are, when you want to see the analysis that's going to give you a clean snapshot of what's going on with Arsenal, what's going on in the Premier League, all sports, really, bookmakers.com. Okay, that's enough of that. Now, um... We we have Leicester coming up this weekend. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a Monet against Crystal Palace, but uh, we did a rewatch over on the Patreon side of things and just to the first half, but the whole first half was a lot better than I thought. There was a little wobble in it, but by and large, I thought our principles of play were good. The way we controlled the game was was largely good. And mm-hmm. the the team feels pretty settled right now. And so regardless of people coming back into training or, you know, availability changing. I think we can presume that that 11 is the 11 we're going to go forward with at least for as long as it looks like it's working. So do you expect we'll see the same team go out um, at home against Leicester? I guess
2: so. I guess so. They're going to, you know, they gave Tommy Asu 45 minutes, didn't they, in a mm-hmm. under 21 game. So they got some minutes into him and I can see from the training pictures that Fabio Vieira and Emil Smith Rowe are in full training as well. So that's good. Kieran Tierney was um on the bench. Um like it would be great to have those guys back in the squad on yes. Saturday because just having more options from the bench would be useful. I think it will be useful against a, a team like Leicester, who on their day are a, a very good team, who will provide us a real challenge. They're not going to come and get um, expect to be rolled over or anything like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how the substitutions work and how Michel Arteta deals with the five subs thing. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see five subs in in every game or anything like it because it might just be. Um too disruptive to basically change half your outfield team. Uh, unless you're sort of trying to radically shift something in a game, you know, come from behind and you throw on as many attackers as, as you can. So I, I think it probably will be, barring any fitness issues we're not aware of, it'll be the same team that started against Palace. I think it should be the same team that started against Palace. Um it, it feels very solid to me. Um at the back, it looks good. Up front, you know, if Gabriel Jesus can run at the Leicester defence the way he ran at the Palace defence, I have a suspicion that he'll get off the mark uh, in his first game at home. And I think he'll be looking for that as well, to get off the mark as quickly as possible. You don't want to go three or four or five games without scoring. I know he did score all those goals in pre-season, but, um, and that's that could be just me inventing a problem that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I do think I do think it'll be the the, the same team. Um, yeah, I mean, what what change would you make e- even if everybody was fully fit? I think that team deserves to start again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say right back if Tomiyasu was fit, um, mm. because Ben White is sort of deputizing there. I, I don't. I think he's been great. I I actually really liked his performance against Palace. Some people apparently didn't, but I mean, he yeah. took their most dangerous player and kept him largely quiet. I don't think you can argue with that. Um, and that's a very very difficult matchup for anyone. We saw Cedric struggle with it last season. So I don't think Ben White is our long term right back. Some people may disagree. I still think it's Tomiyasu's position, and I think we've somewhat forgotten just how uh, much of a revelation he was last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be a swap that I guess you could make if you thought Tomiyasu was fully fit. But then does Ben White replace Saliba, who was man of the match against Palace? I I don't think so. I think it would give you an issue in your squad that you don't need to have right now because mm. that group looks solid. They've had a whole preseason together. I'd just let them roll with with that group. The other one, obviously, would be Smithrow for Martinelli. I think it's Martinelli's position right now, and I mm. think it will be for the time being. So, yeah, I, I would stick with it. I guess, you know, if, if we didn't have a masterpiece against Palace, although it was certainly good enough and it was a win away at a hard place, Leicester threw away a two-goal lead to Brentford uh, at home. And you know we know where the danger comes from with them, right? They've got they've got good attackers up front. The rest of the team, I think, is a bit hit and miss. And I do wonder there's going to be a lot of eyes on Tielemans, right? Like that's going to yeah, be the yeah. narrative. I mean, I'm wondering if you think a he'll start, given that the rumors are still out there, and that'll be a thing a lot of people be looking for, right? If he doesn't start, the presumption will be oh we're we're definitely signing him. But also, mm-hmm. if he does start, do you worry about that little? Let me show this club that's hemming and hawing about me what I'm all about. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's been linked all summer. I'm sure he won't be blind to it. We know that when Arsenal go after a player, the player knows that the club want him. Um, all the months of work that Edu did behind the scenes with Gabriel Jesus, you know, if they were that, if things were that concrete, if you like, with with Thielmann's, you have to imagine that there has been some contact with the player and his his representatives. Um, Why we haven't done it yet. Maybe it's a question of money. Maybe it's a question of squad size. Maybe it's a question of something else. If we've gone a bit cool on him, I don't know, but he will be somebody that everyone's going to look at tomorrow. And if he plays well, well, I hope he doesn't. I hope he has a stinker. (laughs) <laughs> um, which will make it difficult for people to parse what they really think about this. Because if he has a terrible game, people will go, ah, we don't need to sign that guy. Um, even though I think he's a he's a very, very good player and I prefer he didn't play well against us. If he plays really well and and makes a contribution, people will be going, well, why didn't you sign him before you played Leicester? That, you know, so there's always going to be an element of looking at this from from all kinds of angles. It's it's is it the next rung down from a former player uh, coming back to play against you? Uh, a player yeah. that you've been with all summer and you mm-hmm. haven't pulled the, the trigger on the, the inevitable
1: forward? no celebration celebration. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I mean yeah. i I will say this: the conspiracy theorist in me was like, "We're going to sign this guy this week," you know what I mean, or we're going to dramatically push it forward and try to get because. Lester have been clear all summer; <clears throat> they have to sell to buy. And in my mind, I was like, you know what? You get him on the Thursday before the game. They don't have time to get a replacement in, and you've taken him out. You just make your life that much easier, right? As opposed to buying him earlier in this, you know, two weeks earlier, and they can get the replacement sure. in. And the, but again, I realize there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But that that was a conspiracy theorist to me. It does not look like uh, that conspiracy conspiracy theory, like most of them, is going to come to pass. Um, I don't know. You know, one thing I did. Yeah, go ahead. Day for that, no, not much left of today for that to happen. So mm, there's still tomorrow. There's still tomorrow. Okay.
2: Um, there is the optimist the conspiracy theorist in you. <laughs> the
1: two things that don't usually go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing I forgot to bring up during our squad discussion actually is is Tierney Zinchenko. Tierney did come in and play, and I thought play well in a limited appearance against Palace, but. We saw the best and worst is, not worst, worst is overstaying it. We, we saw the yin and the yang of Zinchenko. How about that? In terms mm-hmm. of just how good he can be in, in our possession game, distribution, a really interesting dynamic with how he and Shaka shifted positions. Shaka often appearing outside of Zinchenko, was Zinchenko almost playing in what, what we consider nominally the, the eight position on the left. Mm. The left pod really worked, which is something that, was continually an issue for us last season. And, it, and I think Jesus is also a big part of that as well. But Tierney came on after we saw Zinchenko starting to get roasted a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was funny. There was one where he got roasted, and he's like, well, I'll just be cynical and pull the guy back. And he, he couldn't even pull the guy back. He couldn't even, couldn't even get to him there. Um, and I think this is going to maybe, to the extent that, that there, there's a question about who is start, the starting left back at Arsenal – Maybe we get a window into that. And also window into something people have been speculating about, that is Zinchenko's role not just to be a Tierney sort of backup or alternate, but also to be maybe a Shaka backup or alternate, a, a midfield consideration. So do you think that could be an interesting look? Either that maybe Tierney comes in and starts, or that at some point in this game Tierney comes in not for Zinchenko, but for someone else. And we see Zinchenko try a different position. What do, what do you think of how that sort of positional battle is developing?
2: I, d- I don't really know because we just don't have any real sample size or the sample size is way too small to know exactly what, what Mikel Arteta is going to do with Zinchenko. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, he's backup for Kieran Tierney. We know that because he started at left back against Crystal Palace. But we know he's also capable of playing in midfield um, in that left eight role, um, maybe. I I don't quite know. I'm i j- I'm just happy to let stuff play out, which is a boring way to answer this on a podcast. And and just it runs where completely contrary yeah. to,
1: to the goals we have here. I'm have, sorry, I'm sorry. You content. sent me
2: you sent me the uh, contract which said you must have twenty hot takes on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just a question I think of of letting the season play out a bit and, and see where these players are. I think it's a great um problem in inverted commas to have mm-hmm. like will it be tierney or will it be zinchenko will it be ben white or will it be tommy asu will it be saliba or will it be ben white will it be ben white or gabrielle you know these are good problems to have mm-hmm. um because like none of them involved the word mustafi and <laughs> that makes my world just a happier place um yeah. but on this one i think we can see you know from all or nothing actually that that there are things that the manager wants tactically from his team and every time you hear a player talk about the manager they're going like wow tactically this guy sees football the way I've never seen football like that before I don't yeah. really understand the game you know and I think some of the recruitment this summer has been done specifically with that sort of versatility in mind you know the ability to shift um tactically within games and perhaps even in quite subtle ways, like not, um, okay, we're losing one nil, let's take off a fullback and throw on a striker kind of way, but where players are positioned, um, what kind of role they have in the team. Um, so I think Zinchenko gives you options, certainly, uh, in that regard, um, the ability to shift your formation or shift a little bit within the game. Um but uh, you know as for as for where he's going to play over the course of this season I don't I don't really know. I don't really know, but I'm just sort of happy to wait it out and and see. But technically he's just such a good footballer, isn't he? I mean he's just fantastic yeah. on the ball. And uh you know the more quality you have on the ball, the more technical quality you have in a team, the better your team is going to be. Um you know, it's not the be-all and end-all, but I think we've had some players in the not-too-distant past who, who just technically and maybe even physically haven't been up to the kind of football that Mikel Arteta wants this team to play. And I think that is, that is you know, where we're going. And, and he's certainly a player who plays a part in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's funny, right? Because I've, I've often said, like, don't worry about depth worry about your first 11, worry about starting players. You need to build that quality. But people may misunderstand what I mean about depth, right? Like Saliba is not a depth addition. Zinchenko is not a depth addition, right? Mm. They may not start every game, but that doesn't mean they're depth additions. They are starting caliber players who make us better every time they get to play. And that's more what I mean, right? Don't go get a Cedric to be this guy who could play if you have to but you'd ideally mm-hmm. not like to, right? Like go get players that you think could go fight and win the starting position on merit and mm. they make you better. And 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 that's more what I mean, right? So like there are guys you bring in or you re-sign. Re-signing is a little different. So let me just stick with bring in where you're like, well, you know, we're not looking to play them, but we needed numbers. We, they They make up the numbers. Those guys will very rarely make you better because essentially if you have to call on them, Odds are you're not going to achieve the goals you had for that season, right? Mm. So if you lose a a Ben White for the season and you have to play a Pablo Marie for the season, you're going to have a worse season. You just Mm. are. And you say, well, we needed to make up the numbers. Well, where did that get you? But if you lose a Ben White and you have to play a Saliba, depending on who you are on the internet and how – furiously you want to argue, you're not getting worse. And some might say you're getting better. You know, your mileage may vary. The point is, these players that we brought in, they're not depth players. They are starting caliber players who can go fight for their position and add something to the team. And I think that is an important distinction, if if you get my meaning. No, I know exactly. I know exactly.
2: And, you know, it's a balancing act then to try and keep everybody happy and give everybody enough football. And, you know, if a player doesn't play or doesn't start a couple of games, it's not because you're terrible or you've been dropped per se, it's that, you know, we might need to do things a little bit differently. Like, you know, the Ben White Saliba thing is a really interesting discussion. You know, what happens if Saliba has been playing well? Um, but you know, let's say he's got a little knock or a little ankle strain or something that means he's 70% fit. Like he can come on and do a job from the bench and Ben White starts, you know, those things, um, we're not necessarily privy to all the time as well. So some of those selection decisions that, that often feel a little bit baffling, we're like, well, why has he done that? Mm -hmm. But I think, I think managing those, those areas of the pitch in the best way possible to ensure that we get to next May with as many of those first-team players fit and available as possible. You know, you think about Ben White in the Newcastle game. I mean, the poor lad couldn't run. He was Mm -hmm. just absolutely broken. You know, he'd had a hamstring strain. He was strapped up the wazoo. You know, and part of that is that we just didn't really have credible backup or competition for Ben White. Like you say, you can put Rob Holding in there, and Rob Holding's a good, honest player, but he doesn't give you what Ben White gives you, you know? Um, so I, I agree, you know, bringing those players in and bringing players in who can start is, is really important. And it's part of why we still have to get rid of a few as well.
1: Yeah, well said. Um, last point, then, expectations for Saturday. Um, you know, I think Lester, the, the narrative is so powerful in football. The, Les, the, power, the narrative on Leicester is they're in decline. Right, they don't have the money. They have to sell to buy. Mm. They haven't really strengthened. They're missing some players with injury. I look at some of the attackers they can put out there. You know, Madison Vardy. They have you know a, a, a few dangerous players. I think it's one of those dismiss them at your peril, but still looking like a team that we we should be able to get past is kind of where I'm at.
2: Yeah, look, you can't take anything for granted in the Premier League. The minute you do, you get found out. No two ways about it. And and. You can be quite sure that Mikel Arteta will be um, hammering home that point to his players uh, this week on the training ground, that they've got to work hard. Um, But, yeah, why shouldn't we feel confident going into this when We won away from home at Crystal Palace last week. Good start to the season. It sort of assuaged some of our fears that after preseason, would we fall at the first hurdle? We didn't. And it's been a tricky place for us to go in recent years. Players feel more confident about results than performances i think um so they'll be confident going into this one home game fans are going to be well and truly up for it it's absolutely sold out as far as i can make out um Weather is going to be good, perhaps a little bit too good. They're talking about 36, 37 degrees, so there's going to be a drinks break. It's going to be tough for the players, and that might be a factor. We've got to factor in the the weather as well, um, who manages that best uh, and everything else. But like you, I, I, I think Leicester are a good team. I don't take them for granted, but I'm hopeful that this Arsenal team, a team that I think is capable of going places, can turn up, do the job with the fans right behind them, Um, with some of the exciting players that we've brought in and and take home another three points. So uh, fingers crossed on that.
1: Yeah, I as I often do this time of the week, feel really good about what's going to happen this weekend. Um, yeah. And I, I want to say to you, because it, it aligns with the conversation we've been having. Um, we had players unavailable today, but you are starting quality. So I don't, I don't think it dragged the pod down. It prevented us from getting to our goals. Uh, there are maybe one or two people on this podcast that we do need to upgrade, but I think you certainly did the job today. So thank you for that. Thank
2: you, thank you very much indeed. I'm always happy to uh, be a late sub or whatever it is. Super sub, uh, do the do the job. But I think you do. You you're right. You need to crack the whip a little bit with some of these guys. Yeah, uh, you know they're easing off. They think they've won it all at this point. And
1: you know the season. problem. I don't. I I'm not a very good drawer. So every time I break out the whiteboard and draw the stick figures, they're like, <laughs> we don't know what that is. We can't, we can't make it out. Yeah. Are you?
2: Are you? Are you? Um, are you? I wondered why he didn't have, like, a whiteboard with uh, magic markers rather than one with flippy bits of paper. So, like, do you think all those drawings are being saved in the Arsenal archive, you know, as part of history? This is Mikel Arteta's doodle for the uh, team talk against Liverpool. Here's his
1: funny little testicle man. I I mean, there's already people selling shirts with the the brain holding the hands of the heart or maybe... Committing yeah, yeah, yeah. an act of sexual gratification, depending on how you viewed that stick figure, but uh, yeah. that is far beyond my ability to analyze. <laughs> would you wear? Would you wear that shirt? I, I got a level with you. If we uh, if we win something this season, I will wear that shirt and nothing else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I tell you what. If we win something this season, I'll get that tattooed somewhere on me, and uh, there you go.
1: You better hope we don't win the League Cup then, because it's definitely not worth it for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'll be more than the late cup at okay. least the smart, <laughs>
1: smart alright well I, I don't need to tell anyone but Andrew's on Twitter uh, at Arsblog thanks Andrew thanks Elliot cheers my name's Elliot Smith you can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner um, we may if they are willing to return and we're willing to have them back have the other guys back on in the near future we'll probably have a, a full all or nothing breakdown over on the Patreon side with Clive in the next day there's a rewatch there as well but mostly just thank you for being here we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 Lester new. No.